You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We've got the whole crew together as we cover Ohio State with our instant analysis from Ohio State. There's something that doesn't feel right. Unbelievable effort from him today. Is EJ Liddell going to crack the first team all Big Ten? I think he can be the guy. I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy. He seems to have the durability. He certainly has the toughness. This is the question on a lot of people's minds here. Welcome to Buckeye Breakdown. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Building the Buckeyes. A lot happened in Columbus this week as Ohio State head coach Ryan Day met with the media on Monday to discuss the four new assistant coaches that have been added to the staff this month. We then met with the 11 early enrollees and two transfer players on Wednesday, which will give us plenty of content over the next few weeks here on Buckeyes Now. But the drama that usually comes with National Signing Day just wasn't there. In fact, Day noted during his press conference that the coaching staff has been out and about recruiting players from the class of 2023, a luxury they were afforded by signing the majority of their class in December. It just it speeds everything up. Now you're working on the 23 class, so um, which is great for the head coaches being out because you get to spend January spending time going to see some coaches and, and doing that thing, which um, has been hard because now that we don't go out in uh, in the spring and December is such a race, we don't really have an opportunity to get around to some of the high schools that you'd like to get to as the head coach. So uh, that's been good to try to do a little bit more of that. With that said, I want to welcome SIL American Director of Recruiting, John Garcia, back to the show so he can give his perspective on the Buckeyes class. How's it going, John? Uh, it's going well. Just uh, happy to have signing day behind us. Crazy cycle, obviously. And uh, yeah, another good one for the Buckeyes. Back-to-back uh, top five finishes on the SI rankings and a whole lot of SI 99 members. So uh, as usual, the future is pretty bright there in Columbus. For sure. And like you mentioned, yesterday was National Signing Day, but it's not really what it used to be with the introduction of the early signing period a few years back. But even so, it was still pretty notable for Ohio State, given they signed Wisconsin offensive lineman Carson Hinsman and Texas defensive end Omari A. Bohr. So with that, how do you think that the Buckeyes did this cycle overall and then closing out with those final two? Yeah, two positions of need to close it out is always important. Uh, you, you flex some some regional uh, recruiting muscle as well. Buckeyes always dangerous in Texas and and Duncanville High School. It's like there's like three or four schools in Texas: Duncanville, Allen, North Shore. That uh, those are the schools, right, to go grab elite recruits year in year out. So uh, furthering that pipeline, I thought was really smart with Amari Abor, and it fits a big need: an edge rusher. A, a more balanced and complete edge rusher compared to the longer, maybe twitchier Kenyatta Jackson. So you've got kind of the best of both worlds among some of these, these pass rushers that are being brought in uh, with, with Ohio State, a big position of need going forward. And then offensive line, always important. We're talking Big Ten, we're talking cold weather. And, and this group with Hinsman as the final piece, I thought was, was a nice flex. Uh, Hinsman's athletic. He's light. I, I think he can project at multiple positions relative to his body. Uh, and he's a Wisconsin kid. They, they don't go up there and pull offensive linemen uh, really ever. So uh, anybody doing that is, is a, a reminder of the national recruiting prowess. Uh, and I, I think 
it was a great close. But I think the Texas A&M class got so much attention, and rightfully so, right? I mean, number one class, crazy numbers, however you look at it. But the, the couple of schools behind them, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, each had unbelievable recruiting years. That top five is as strong as, as we'll see. I'm, I'm doing some quick math on the fly here. Uh, almost 50 SI-99 recruits between those top five schools. So you talk about the majority of the best in the country went to these five schools in Ohio State right there with eight SI-99 recruits within them. So I think when it's not number one, you know, for Ohio State, Bama, and Georgia, it's always like, oh, it wasn't number one. Well, this is kind of the anomaly year. And this Ohio State class was absolutely fantastic. Mostly done in December uh, with with Devin Brown, Sonny Styles reclassifying. So you kind of splashed on each signing day with key additions. And then of course, over the long stretch, uh, a big time class in general, heavy on the positions that we're used to seeing Ohio State dominate in the trenches, good secondary hall and a truly elite receiver hall, which is something that we're just gonna start to say every single year. For sure. And I think you made an excellent point about kind of how AM finished with National Signing Day versus the other schools really focusing on the early signing period and, you know, kind of filling out the class with a couple pieces here and there. And it really is easy to kind of overlook what Ohio State did in the first place back in December when it signed 19 players. So I think that, you know, you kind of have to look at these two things as an all encompassing thing at the end of the day, rather than just being enamored with maybe, you know, what A&M did with the final day of, of the period. Right. That's why we do two pieces every signing day evening. We do winners and losers for the day, but then we do the class ranking for the entire cycle. And that's where you see truly where you stand. So for instance, Nebraska was a winner on Wednesday because they flipped two recruits, right? You know, congratulations, Scott Frost, new offensive staff, blah, blah, blah. But in the grand scheme of things, one of the worst classes in the Big Ten. So I think they're a great example of signing day versus the signing period and the cycle itself. So Ohio State, quiet. They signed a pair of kids who were recently committed. No splashes out of the ordinary, but that's okay because it's about the entire cycle, not just the day. Certainly A&M. Miami, um, LSU, some of the winners, Oklahoma for the day. But look, a lot of new coaching staff and teams that had room to fill out. Ohio State was kind of already there. So uh, always a good point to bring up and remind folks, because as usual on Twitter, you know, we're getting a lot of crap for putting out some of these lists and we have to provide a little bit more context. But always good to remind the folks this time of year that it's about the entire body of work. You know, of the 21 players that Ohio State ultimately signed, are there any you may feel have the potential to win a national award or be a first-round pick? Yeah, these are always fun, right? I mean, this class, again, we just mentioned eight SI-99 recruits. So naturally, I'm, I'm going to start with those guys. I think when you talk about certain positions that have changed over the last few years in terms of how we value them, I always go to wide receiver. I think that's the position, and Ohio State fans know this as, as well or better than anybody. This is now becoming the, the sixth premium position. We always talk about quarterbacks, offensive tackles, pass rushers, interior defensive linemen, and corners as the five premium positions. Wide receivers, like first in line, if we extend that premium to six. Uh, we can't have them all premium, but, you know, receivers are becoming truly uh, game-changing positions in this modern game. And in this Ohio State receiver class, you got a little bit of everything, right? You've got Caleb Brown, an elite slot 
wide receiver type, a little bit more compact, smaller, Caleb Burton a little bit longer, Kojo Antwi bigger, more physical, closer to 200 pounds. But my guy among the receivers is, is Keon Grace. Um, he's he's a tweener size-wise. We could have ranked him as a slot or an outside guy, but I don't care where you line him up because he's as polished a route runner as we've seen in this cycle. So I, I think we get enamored with, you know, these big six two six three receivers who are great vertical threats so you could just kind of chuck it down the field to. But there's still a lot to be said for the guy who can work underneath, beat a good defensive back with technique and athleticism, not to mention a physicality at the catch point that makes you think he's bigger than 5'11", 180, or whatever he's officially listed at at this point. Uh, I'm a big fan uh, of Keon Grays. And then staying on the offense, uh, I know we're higher on Dallin Hayden than the rest of the industry. And I'm not sure you know what goes into some of those evaluations over there, but over here, we value production, consistency, and a balanced type of back. And I think it's going to take them some time, obviously, because the, the running back room is very stacked at Ohio State. It always is. But 2023, 2024, I think Dallin Hayden is going to be one of those that you look back on and say, that was a nice get for OSU going into Tennessee and beating Tennessee, going uh, beating Arkansas, where he has so many family ties. There were a lot of kind of shoe in schools for Dallin. And then there was Ohio State. So to, to win that battle, I thought was big. Uh, and obviously to get him signed and on campus, I think will be big as well. So that's kind of the two guys that immediately come to mind. And, and those guys have high floors. That's another thing we value here relative to others. If we're talking ceiling and if they hit a couple of boxes down the line, I go to the front seven. I think CJ Hicks is the number one linebacker in the country. So we ranked him as such. And I think Kenyatta Jackson made as big a jump from 2021 to 2022, or excuse me, 2020 to 2021, his junior year to senior year, as any recruit we covered in the 99. Uh, big time player, big time wingspan, twitchy, can grow and be an interior guy or stay on the outside and live on the edge. Uh, so I think his ceiling down the line uh, is very, very high. But if we're talking floor, give me Hayden. Uh, give me give me Keon Gray's at this point, but but you could really go so many directions with this class. Those are just a couple of guys that we kind of latched onto early that proved their worth every single time we got to see them in action. Yeah, and I think you really hit the nail on the head there too with the, with the guys that you named because Hicks seems like he's just a certain you know a surefire first round pick, you know future captain, all those kind of things. Like obviously the leader of this class from the very beginning. And then Gray, as you look back at his recruitment, it reminds me a lot of just, you know, not only him, his own playing style, but his recruitment, how he went from a, you know, relatively unheralded prospect to then one of the one of the better receivers in the country reminds me a lot of Chris Olave's ascension. You know, you didn't really know who he was, three star prospect, those kind of things. And then now he's a, a likely first round pick. And I think that, you know, Gray's has that the, that same similar trajectory, you know, for his career. And then Hayden, as you mentioned, you know, this kid is a, a two-time Mr. Tennessee football, 4,000-yard rusher. You know, those kind of things should be valued, and I'm not sure exactly why he's not high, highly ranked by other outlets, but obviously we had him, you know, in the, in the top 99 in the country. And then, you know, when it comes to Kenyatta, I was actually talking to Ryan Turner yesterday during his media availability about uh, Kenyatta's recruitment, and I guess he grew up an Oklahoma fan, and everybody thought he was going to go to Oklahoma the entire time, and then you know, he ends up at Ohio State because Ryan Turner's there helped convince him to, to come his relationship with Larry Johnson. So I think that that's going to be something that in the future, you know, kind of pays dividends. And you look back on this cycle and, and his recruitment and say, you know what, that that was a really big win. 
100%. You know, there was a lot of Oklahoma buzz for him early on. Um, you know, kids kids growing up in South Florida are wild cards, right? I mean, they could be local fans. They could hate the local team and just want something different for their college experience uh, or anywhere in between. And, and Kenyatta was definitely an Oklahoma lead about a year ago at this time. But, um, you know, Larry Johnson starts latching on to guys. It's just hard. It's just hard for some of these kids to say no, especially given what they've done with kids in his hometown. You know, the, the Bosa brothers are from 10 minutes away from where Kenyatta lives. So, I mean, it's really hard to ignore any step of their evolution from high school to the NFL and with a similar frame playing against similar competition. You just, it's just hard. It's just hard to beat mm -hmm. that. Um, and I think he obviously eventually, you know, turned over towards Ohio State and, and Bambo was in there too. You know, it was really a, a, a flip floppy kind of top three for him. But over the last month or so, um, Ohio State closed really well. And, and I think he's won, again, a couple of years from now, the Florida schools are going to look back on and say, dang, you know, we knew he was good, but we really missed on, on an elite national kind of prospect. Um, so I, I'm, I'm high on Kenyatta Jackson, and I moved him up in the rankings in the postseason, and I could have moved him up higher. And, and I might regret not moving him up higher. That's how, how high I am on his ceiling and his – development down the line, especially at a place like Ohio State, where it's just proven year in, year out. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So to switch gears a little bit, you know, in a different world or timeline, Quinn Ewers would have actually been enrolling in classes at Ohio State this month, which is kind of weird to think about given all of the stuff that happened, you know, over the course <laughs> of the last like four months, you know, with him reclassifying because of the NIL stuff not really playing at Ohio state, except for in his final game at Ohio stadium, got to hand the ball off two times and then ultimately entering the transfer portal, going back home to Texas, those kind of things. But the Buckeyes still ended up signing a quarterback in Utah's Devin Brown, who effectively takes his place in the class and, and really on the roster. So what kind of expectations do you think we should have for him? I think this should be high. I mean, Brown's another 99 guy. And what I like about his story is that he played his way in. This was not a shoe in early, right? And I remember when he committed to USC as a sophomore out of Arizona, it was kind of like USC took this kid minimal production, about 52% completion percentage in high school. I thought, man, he's got a good arm and he's a decent athlete, but this is a, a bit of a reach for USC. Well, it turns out that their evaluation was, was better than we thought because his junior year, he upticked a, a little bit. And he, he challenged some of that, that sophomore film in a positive direction. And then he moves to Utah and just goes crazy. And even before that point, we started to see signs of Devin Brown's ascent. We were at, he went to the, uh, the Dallas region, or excuse me, the Houston regional for the Elite 11. And we thought he was the best quarterback there. And, and there was Connor Wiegman. Uh, there was Walker Howard. Guys who for years, literally, were, were valued much more than a Devin Brown. We're like, this kid can throw with them. He's big. He's athletic. You know, this was our best quarterback that day. Then he goes to the Elite 11 with Quinn Ewers, and he's throw for throw with them. Um, you know, there, there was not 
there was not a big separation. Quinn Ewers wasn't even our number one guy at the Elite 11 um, in terms of the full body of work. You know, we had Kate Klubnick, number one, who finishes our number one quarterback. And then, you know, we had Devin Brown higher uh, than Quinn Ewers. Ewers finished six for us in our composite ranking of every single day. So he was, Quinn was number 10 on day one, number six on day two, number seven on day three. So Quinn flash that arm speaks for itself but in terms of the body of work Devin Brown was better on the same field day one he was top five day two he was top five day three he was six and those are all different settings at the elite 11 so we loved him in Houston at the regional loved him more in LA at the finals and then all he does as a senior is moves to a wide open system sets the Utah State passing record uh, and is running around all over the field showing even more athleticism that we can't see in a camp setting. So he really played his way right into the SI 99 rankings uh, in a weird year for quarterbacks, given all of the turnover. Uh, But Devin Brown absolutely belongs. Um, It it makes you wonder if he was at corner Canyon high school for four years, Mm -hmm. how high could he have climbed? Cause we would have seen him in this wide open offense and talking to Devin when he transferred, he said, look, I've been in a conservative offense my whole varsity career. And I think it's hurting my development. No disrespect to, you know, to my coaches in Arizona, but it's hurting my development. Let me go to Utah in a system that's been super wide open. And remember, the last few quarterbacks at that high school are um, Wilson, who just went, you know, to the Jets in the top five of the draft. And then Jackson Dart, who was after Kayla Williams, the hottest commodity in the quarterback transfer portal and a 99 guy from last year. So they, their track record with wide open offenses and quarterbacks who can throw and move, which is a key with Devin, became this, this very appealing deal. And, and he flourished in that wide open system and out through Jackson Dart. He out through Zach Wilson and some of the other quarterbacks that have come through or every, every quarterback that came through Corner Canyon and every school in Utah from a single season perspective. So uh, I thought that was a brilliant move on his part. It was a calculated move on his part. And and Ohio State's impression, I remember the day they went to see him, he said it was like sleeting. It was sleeting outside. And Ohio State uh, had an assistant coach there, I believe it was the quarterback's coach, mm-hmm. sitting there watching him. And, and he probably didn't look great. Devin was not confident he was going to get that offer. And he, of course, did and then started taking all these visits. Um, you know, well, I think it was Ole Miss, USC got him on campus again, UCLA, BYU, and 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 Ohio State, and obviously our Texas too, and Ohio State obviously wins out in, in the recruitment in the end. So just a, an interesting rise and a kid that, again, with more, every time we saw him, we loved him. So it's like, man, I kind of wish he was at Corner Canyon as, as a sophomore because we could be talking about uh, a top 10 kind of recruit overall if we got a bigger uh, sample size in the end. But still a 99 guy and, and one that, again, on the same field, for what it's worth, uh, over three days in Los Angeles, out through Quinn Ewers from a tangible perspective. And I think, you know, that's, that's a good starting point. For sure. And we were talking to him yesterday because he was one of the 11 early enrollees that was made available to the media for the first time. And he was kind of talking about just the process and, and how he really bet on himself. And he kind of, he kind of said that in his commitment um, tweet as well, you know, betting on himself because he did go from a place in Arizona that was rather conservative. And when he went to to Utah and Corner Canyon, they were basically like, why are you doing this? You're not good enough to do it. And then as you alluded to, went on to break, you know, all time Utah passing records. So, you know, there's definitely one of those things where he clearly has a chip on his shoulder. And I think that, you know, just that that ascension is going to be something that's going to be really cool to see. 100%. You know, I, I think 
it's a great situation for him too, right? Because he's going to sit behind uh, CJ Stroud and the rest of that quarterback room and, and start to develop and see uh, where he could go next. And, and the Ohio State system, it's no secret, is very similar to what, what they did at Corner Canyon. Again, part of the reason was for his own benefit in recruiting, but the other side of it was, you know, hey, I'm, I'm committed to, at the time, USC, I'm, I'm good with my recruitment. I just want to develop. I want to get better. And these college offenses are wide open. The USC's old and new staff played in that kind of system. And a lot of the schools he was looking at, as I mentioned, Ohio State, Texas, Ole Miss, those are wide open quarterback, point guard, spread offenses. And he wanted to play in that uh, reputably before college. So I think it was just a perfect setup and he'll be able to develop even more, which is like, I think something he needs, he can develop a little bit more as he gets that much more comfortable in that type of setting. Cause this will only be year two for him in that type of offense. So I think that's going to be critical for, for his development. So I know you have to hop on a radio show here quickly. So I just want to ask you one, one last question, which is really about the breaking news today that Lebius Overton is reclassifying and has named a top five of Georgia, Ohio state, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Texas A&M. He's expected to take official visits before making a decision over the next few months, which, which kind of reminds me of what Ohio State freshman or rising sophomore defensive NJT Tui Malowau did last summer. So really, what do you think the Buckeyes' chances are with, with Overton? Well, it depends on the timeline. You know, this is something that is, is going to become more popular. We saw it with viewers. Uh, we saw it with JT Daniels a couple of years ago. I mean, heck, Sonny Styles reclassified for, for OSU in this class. Um, but we just talked about it with Kenyatta Jackson. If Larry Johnson's latching on, you've got a chance. Now, this is going to be a bit of an uphill climb. He's a Georgia kid. The Bulldogs are in it. Obviously, national title, all that. And then he just came from AM. We just talked about the, the gaudy class that they brought in. Um, and the schools he's looking at, he's not worried about the competition, right? He's not saying, well, let me go to a school where I'm just the guy day one. Those are competitive schools that have built a pass rushing stable for the most part. Um, so I, I do think those are the three biggest threats. Uh, but I'm curious to see if he takes more visits because he announced the reclassification this morning, but was talking about maybe a spring, early summer decision because he's going to graduate high school in May. So that means he's got all five official visits to potentially start taking in March and April. Uh, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So I think the next step is absolutely to get back to Columbus because, you know, he just visited A&M, they've got momentum and Georgia is what it is, right? An hour from his house, national champs, all of that. So I think those are the two kind of shoe-ins to stay in this race. So between Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Oregon, which one of those is going to be that third contender, that third point of view to really dig into going forward? Um, and I think it could be Ohio State, but he's got to get back up to Columbus. I'm not sure the last time he was in Columbus, but he's an Ohio State kind of kid. I mean, an elite pass rusher. We talk about production with Devin Brown. I mean, this kid has 100 TFLs in high school, 50-plus sacks. Uh, I mean, it's, it's crazy what he's done at a high level in the Atlanta area, which is, you know, uh, some of the best competition in the country. So it will be a hotly contested recruitment. Everybody will open or create a spot for him uh, in his top five and even beyond. I'm sure Deion Sanders or Saban or everybody else would, would open a spot if, if LT gave him a phone call. So I think it's going to be fascinating relative to his timeline. If he starts accelerating things, I think it's more of an A&M Georgia situation, but if he takes a few months and takes visits, I think the Buckeyes will, will become potentially that, that third school and really give them something to think about.
I do think that you're spot on there with the timeline, just because, you know, like you said, he's coming off that A&M visit, you know, the emotional high from that could lead him to making a decision and committing and signing and it's over. But I think that there's one very important thing that people need to remember is that he goes to Alpharetta Milton, which is where Ohio State basketball signee Bruce Thornton goes. And they actually play basketball together. So there's a, a relationship there. You know, when when Ohio State first offered him, people were saying that that was something to pay attention to. So that familiarity. So if he does end up coming to, you know, back to campus for for another visit, for an official visit, get some time around, you know, Thornton on campus and, you know, the the coaches and those kind of things, like I think that it could progress from there. That's a great point. Uh, I didn't even know about that connection. And, and what's going to be fun for him, in addition to all this attention, is that all these classes are done. So when he takes these officials, it will literally mm-hmm. all be about him. Not that he needs that. You know, he's a kid that's been in the spotlight since his freshman year. I mean, his dad's an AD at a, at a school in Georgia. So, I mean, it's like he doesn't need that. But that's going to be kind of nice to just go to Ohio State and Georgia and A&M and, and just be the center of attention for championship-level coaches. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool. And, and again, I think as time goes on now, we're going to see a, a few more kids start to, to look into this because it's, you know, it, it's financially, you know, smart, right? It, it gets you to NIL that much sooner. Um, you're obviously already ahead academically to even have a shot at reclassification. Um, and I think Ohio State's got a unique angle because they, they've handled both sides of the spectrum, right? Styles just reclassified and signed. Ewers reclassified and signed last year. And then Tui Molo Al was kind of the late guy from the 21 class. So they've attacked this successfully from both sides of the reclassification or taking my time spectrum. So I think that could bode well for their chances again if he gets back to Columbus. I agree. And another thing that's worth keeping in mind when it when it comes to Overton is the fact that he's already played four years of high school. He started on varsity as, a, as an eighth grader. So, you know, it's not like he's not physically ready for this. And, you know, like you said, Ohio State is definitely a school that has has experience doing these things. And we'll just kind of have to see how it unfolds from here. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today, John. We'll have to definitely do this again soon. Always good to be on with you, man. The time flies by. Uh, appreciate your coverage. And uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be a busy 23 cycle as well. So happy to join you whenever you want. Definitely. Well, for SIL American Director of Recruiting, John Garcia, I'm Andrew Lynn. Have a great day.